expanding the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films, and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Welcome to episode 67 of Down and Nerdy, where we right now feel like the Human Torch and Firestorm combined. Yeah, dude, my, oh my god, my apartment, I mean, I'm on the ground floor, which is great, you know, so I get the cool, a little bit of coolness, but, oh my god, I walked in the other day, and it was 75 degrees in here, I was sweating so bad, dude, it's just, AC is so comfortable. Oh yeah, I'm James with them alongside. The sweaty Merc with one arm, Nick Pataglia. The reason we're talking about this is because while we're recording, it's like 100 degrees where we are in Virginia, and I'm not being, I'm not, I'm being literal here, it's 100 yeah. degrees literally outside right now. Yeah, it's literally 100 degrees, and luckily the old PS4 is uh, nice and cool in my living room. That's right, and the reason we're saying that is because, of course, Nick went out to the midnight release and got Arkham Knight, which, you know, maybe it's going to be a good game. I've, I've heard things that it's <laughs> going to be a pretty good game, but um, you went out to the midnight release, so that means you got the Red Hood pack, you got the Harley Quinn expansion pack, you got the Adam West pack, you got the pack of the pack. So, first of all... Initial impressions, don't worry about all the downloading stuff because everybody knows that takes forever. Initial impressions, you first started playing, what did you think? Well, before I get to the playing, I do want to say if you did pre-order it, you did get a lot of nice goodies, as James mentioned. You get the Harley Quinn DLC uh, story pack, you get the Red Hood story pack, which is a GameStop exclusive, actually. And also you get the Skins pack, which... uh, you have, as James said, you get the, the Adam West Batman 66 skin. You also I think get, that was a PS4 exclusive, wasn't PS4 it? PS4 exclusive. And uh, the Justice League 3000 Batman suit. And also, uh, if you have a PlayStation as well, you can go into the, PLA, the PlayStation store and get the new 52 Batman suit as well. Mm-hmm. One thing, too, though, if you're somebody who pre-ordered it, you got the $250 Batmobile uh, special edition. It came with the little Batmobile and stuff like that, interchangeable parts. Sorry to let you know that you're not getting the Batmobile because... Just keeping it short, uh, there was a problem with the manufacturer, not Rocksteady, but the manufacturer they went through with the, uh, with the with the figure, with the Batmobile, and it didn't let GameStop know until last week, and it takes about a month to make, uh, make, make, make these. So, again, they had a, if you, mostly it didn't affect GameStop, if you, had, if you got it through Amazon, uh, you would have, they would have to refund you because that's primarily where it was from. It's through Amazon and stuff like that as well. Uh, but gameplay, the Batmobile drives like a dream. I mean, it's a little bit loose when you drive, but again, I've never wanted to hit the brake button. That's real. That's realism, though. I mean, oh, yeah. don't you expect the Batmobile of all vehicles to be balls to the walls all over the place kind of thing? Uh, I'll say this: you get to use. I'm not going to spoil anything because the game did just come out, but uh, you did. You do get to use a nice little interrogation technique with the Batmobile. Ooh, nice! I like that. So that's the Batmobile. What about the fighting style? How does that kind of play out? It's literally the most fluid fighting style of all. Of, I'll say four of the games because I want to count Arkham Origins, even though uh, Warner Brothers Montreal made it. It's the most fluid. It's the most free flowing. I mean, I'm, you know, especially when you have the PlayStation controller in your hand, uh, it it feels very. It fits like a glove. It, it really does. It's very fluid. Uh, you can do because, as you know, Robin and Nightwing are in the game. Mm-hmm. So when you're fighting like a group of guys, there's times where like Nightwing will come bail you out, or a certain character. I'm not gonna say who will bail bail you out. 
and you get to do what's called tag team moves. So where if you do like a certain combo to a guy, you hit L1 on the PlayStation 4 controller, and you do like a tag team move with interaction. I like that. I like that a lot. And the best part is when you do those, you get to be, it switches you to the other characters. So in between the fights, you can switch characters. Oh, that's cool. So you can start off as like Batman and then all of a sudden switch to Nightwing kind of thing. Exactly. Nice. I like that. So you're about, you said 12% in when we were talking off the air, which I remember you texted me last night. You said, well, you know, the main storyline is 12 hours. I said, yeah, that's if you do everything perfectly the first time. Good luck with that. (laughs) Yeah. So you're 12% in. Has there been any holy shit moments already? Well, there's one I told you about last night off the air. I don't know if you want me to tell people about that. It's not really a spoiler, but if I'm going to say, I'll say it. Well, well, let's just preface this. This might be a little bit of a spoiler, even though it's real. I don't think it is either, but we'll preface it. For, I mean, fast forward 30 seconds ahead if you don't want to hear this. But uh, it's actually pretty cool, I think. Um, okay, this is more of a flashback, per se. Actually, really, it is. They recreate the scene in The Killing Joke where Joker shoots Barbara Gordon. Which, when you told me that, I was like, dude, no way. And he's dressed in his garb. And since I said the Joker shoots Barbara Gordon, he is in the game. However, he's not in the game. He's more like a premonition that Batman has. Oh, oh he, wa- he was in the game in the beginning. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you get to incinerate so him, much. too. Like, I'm which sit- is, which I- is great. Which is great because like I'm sitting there, you know, he's, and he's in the, you know, in the morgue and everything else, and I'm sitting there like, okay, why isn't he laying on fire at all? And bottom right corner of my TV, I see, you know, uh, incinerate. So I'm like, oh, I had to hold the X button to incinerate him, and it's pretty cool. Uh, so but- that was that was Rocksteady's way, right away, of getting it out of the way. Like, you know what? He's dead. Do it yourself. That way you know for sure he's gone. This isn't any posturing or anything. You do it so you know for sure that he's dead. Exactly, and again, you know, that's pretty much it for the, the spoilers uh, I'm going I'm to talk about. Like I said, it's a really good game so far. The gameplay is amazing. Uh, like I said, I've, when, when I look at, at this game, and again, I still don't know who Arkham Knight is. I'm trying to stay away from social media because there are people out there who are like, Arkham Knight's this person. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to know. We are not going to spoil that because I think that's, that's a big one. I Although mean, I will say this, this is all I'll say about Arkham Knight, the actual Arkham Knight. There is... A uh, couple things you gotta keep your eyes out for that could lead to one of the people that James and I uh, we talked about who it could possibly be. Okay, very interesting. Well, that's Nick's initial impressions of Arkham Knight. I'm sure that we'll be referencing it a little bit later on. Of course, you know, there's that we've had a, we've got a lot going on, so we don't know how long it's going to take him to finish it. But we'll we'll come back to it at some point a little bit down the road. And the reason I say we've got a lot going on, Nick's, because we launched a brand new website this week. We did. Before we get to the website, I do want to say, if you are somebody who's looking for Arkham Knight, of course, it's probably sold out a lot of retailers. You can go to our Amazon store and order it through Amazon. And right on our new website, actually. Right on the front page, you see the Arkham Knight cover right there. You just click on that, and you can order it through our online store, which is powered by Amazon.com. Exactly. You get free shipping on that as well. But yes, we do have a new website, downnerdypodcast.com. We launched it uh, earlier this week. We actually launched it on Monday, and... I'm just so happy, man. Like his the way that we've way the places we've gone with this podcast, and now we got our own website. And who knows what opportunities this is going to lead forward to forward down down the road? 
Yeah, and we appreciate you guys because without you, we wouldn't have gotten to this point as quickly as we have, and we do appreciate that. There's a whole bunch of features on the website that you can check out. A lot easier way to get your fan questions in. We always tell you all the ways you can do it. There's a contact section. There's actually a form right there that you can fill out and send us in your fan questions. It is just that quick and easy. Our phone number is up there. Also, if you've got a Cosplay Tuesday or Artist Spotlight Sunday submission you'd like to do, there's a nice little place on the contact section there that you can use as well. There's also a listen page where I will tell you right now, our new episodes will be available first on our website, downandnerdypodcast.com. If you want to get them before they're released on social media, you can go to downandnerdypodcast.com, click on listen, it'll play automatically. It'll also give you instructions on how if you want to download it or anything like that, you can do that as well. Exactly. I had a strong week in terms of downloads as well. Over a thousand downloads in one week. It's amazing. I will say that uh, we'd complained about our provider before SoundCloud and we said that we were working behind the scenes to try and get the numbers back the way they were supposed to be. We didn't want to get too technical on that. We can say that they ha- it appears they have righted the ship. Uh, our voices have been heard, and it looks like things are a little bit back to normal. So if you go notice our, our streaming numbers a little bit ticked up. We thank SoundCloud for uh, for going in there and making that change. We really appreciate them listening to our feedback on that. Exactly. And, I mean, like I said, you know, our website's up. Go check it out. You can actually email James and I personally if you want to as well. Please no dick pics. Yes, please. Yeah, we really like to avoid that. Uh, if at all possible, you can also find we have uh, our Twitter feeds are up there as well. Just an easier way to follow us on Twitter if you want to do that. Just so many new features. We're going to add probably a frequently asked questions yep. uh, section a little bit later. And this is still going to grow. There's still going to be stuff. We're going to add a full on our full online store there as well. There's, it's going to grow and it's going to add a lot of new features as time goes on. But now it is time to move on to something that we didn't get to do last week. Very happy we're going to have it back this week. It's what we're reading coming up next on Down and Nerdy. Hey, this is Courtney Lynn, a.k.a. Harley Quinn from the Harley Quinn web series, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds. We'll pull out those long boxes. time to discuss what we're reading this week. And James, do you want to go first or want me to go first? Sure, I'll go first. All right. A little unconventional for me this week. I decided to go the Marvel route. Something that I've been very excited about for a while, and it was X-Men 92, number one. Nice. It's a Secret Wars spinoff. Of course, writers Chris Sims and Chad Bowers with art by Scott Coblish. Colors by Matt Miller and letters by the great Travis Lanham. Now, I got to say that it starts out with them playing laser tag, which is not a spoiler. It's actually pretty fun. It's very playful throughout the entire comic, and I will say it very much reads... Like an episode of the animated series. Right, because it takes place in the early 90s. Of course, laser tag was a big thing. Still is a big thing today. And it's, I if love you can laser find tag. It. It's really, really fun. But, you know, if you remember the first episode of the 90s X-Men show, dealt with Jubilee in an arcade. So, in a sense, they're going to go in that route. So, it's good nostalgia feel for you. And it's funny because Jubilee was kind of the one that won the laser tag unexpectedly and she's still trying to gain the respect there's still that tension between cyclops and wolverine so it's very good basically without giving away any of the plot you know you're going to see they get attacked by sentinels which leads them to this place called clear mountain which is established by the bureau of superpowers that kind of rehabs evil mutants right so it's very interesting so they meet this character called cassandra nova but at the same time you kind of feel like something's not right Right. So all of the X-Men, except for Professor X, go to visit this facility and check it out. 
And Professor X says, I'm going to use Cerebro to check in on them. And something very, very bad happens. And we find out a little something about Cassandra Nova later on in the issue that was a pretty big shocker uh, towards the end. And I'm, I, I can't, there's so much I could spoil, I'm not going to spoil. Right. Because it was the shock value would be raised if I spoil it. Right. But um, the art was very much a throwback to the 90s X-Men comics, which I thought was very cool. I'm sure that that was done on purpose Yeah. by, uh, by Scott Coblish. And it, it was a great choice, and it just felt right. I mean, the way the way they wrote Gambit, yeah, it just felt right. It felt like it was coming from the series. It didn't feel forced. The way they wrote Wolverine, they actually broke the fourth wall a couple times. Where there was a where there was a um, there was a panel where there was something that Cassandra Nova said, and they kind of crossed it out with a red line and said inappropriate, and they wrote a new version beside it, kind of thing. <laughs> you know, like inappropriate for kids, kind of yeah. thing. That was, that, that was very funny, and they did something else a little bit later on uh, as well. Um, it was just very fun, and it was engaging, and it was one of those things where it was like, this is what I've kind of wanted from Marvel outside of the Star Wars comics. Right. It feels like they just really wanted to pay homage, and this is so what I was hoping for, to pay homage to the animated series itself. Now, this is a Secret Wars tie-in. They do discuss the uh, the battle worlds and the battlefronts and stuff like that, but not exactly. It does take place in the in the Westchester uh, area, which is where the Westchester War was between the X-Men and Magneto's faction of evil mutants. So I got to say that, just quick and simple to the point, this is a pull for me. Okay. And I'm kind of upset that this is going to be a limited series to Secret Wars. I'm really hoping that this book sells well and it kind of tells Marvel, hey, there's a market for this. Why don't we just keep this going? Because it wouldn't be... Th- I mean, if DC can do Batman 66 yeah, and keep that going as the Adam West animated series, give us an X-Men animated series comic a, a monthly. It doesn't have to be a weekly or bi-weekly. Give us a monthly... And I think we'd have a lot of fun with it. So yeah, this is definitely a pull for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the thing is you're kind of hoping that X-Men 92 is the Batman 66 for Marvel. You know, we've got to get the classic looks for it. Well, seeing how you ventured into enemy waters with Marvel and X-Men 92, <laughs> I ventured into enemy waters with DC and Wonder Woman number one annual, which in reality it's number 41, which is pretty much the end of the, the, uh, the war-torn run with Finch. Mm-hmm. And, of course, written by Meredith Finch and her husband David does the art, him and a plethora of other people. David did the pencils for it, actually. And, again, it's the final chapter of the war-torn run where Wonder Woman is torn between, you know, she's now the god of war and she's also a Justice League member. However, she's still queen of the Amazon, so it's balancing those out. Don Troy comes in, messes everything up. And you find out early on, and and Justice League is in this comic, uh, part of them, not... Everybody makes it for Batman, Martian Manhunter, so you have Superman and Weather, and you have the Flash and Cyborg Weather in these catacombs, pretty much. They find this alien race that crash-landed here, so they help them get off the, the planet and stuff like that. And So, pretty much, if you read issue 40, you find out that Donna Troy pretty much led the Amazons to kill a whole tribe of men in what Donna Troy describes as a cleansing. And one of them gets up, out from underneath the earth where the catacombs are and she sees all these dead men and she's horrified she's like why did you do this everything else and you know again Donna Troy says well it's a cleansing we're the stronger species kind of a thing and mm. 
And, and, and well, given too much away because, like I said, it's a third act, so it reads like a third act. So her and Don try this amazing fight. It's really well drawn and thought out and everything, and really great fight sequence. And at the end, you have a good kind of closing slash moral thing where uh, Diana figures out how to balance out being the God of War and a Justice League member and being the queen as well. And She's got it, like four jobs. Pretty much. I mean, <laughs> well, working career woman, it's hard enough. But when you've got like three or four jobs, you know, it's way, way to go for her to balance that out. She's the Joe the Plumber of the DC Universe. Yes, there you go. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that the uh, there's an alien race that's part of this uh, annual because it seems like the latest run of annuals. Yeah. DC's really gone the alien race route because they did that with the Batman, Batman and Robin annual yeah. and uh, another annual too, that I can't remember off the top of my head. So I think it's funny that they did that and it doesn't surprise me at all about the art uh, in the issue. I remember when they did the tease from San Diego comic-con last year, that the Finches were going to be taking over the run. It looked phenomenal. So the fight scene art, that does not surprise me at all. Exactly. You know, and uh, yeah, that's the thing, man. What she does have a lot of titles. Like I said, she is she's that blue collar, you know. <laughs> you know yeah, I just got a lunch pail. I work three jobs. I work nine to ten at night. You know, I just go away. I kill some bad guys, and I go out and I be the queen. You know, CEO, COO, CFO, OMG, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> WTF, you know. But uh, but no, it's just one of those things where it was really well written. The Finch run. Is literally one of my favorite runs of all the comics so far as that's come out this year. I really, really enjoyed it, and like I said, uh, I hope they continue with them. I'm not. I haven't really read up on who's going to be reading do, doing Wonder Woman going forward after the whole convergence and everything. But it's a pull for me. It's a definite pull. Like I said, it's a, it's a number one annual. Mm-hmm. But you, it, you open it up, and I'm like, why did you just why the why did you just Call it number 41. Why did you say annual number one? You know, I don't understand I don't that. know why they do that either. There is, you've talked me into getting the trade, too. When the trade comes out, I'm, I'm definitely getting the trade. Yeah, there is a, a a extra comic in the back, but the animation is more kid style, so it's more... I haven't yeah. read it, but it's one of those things where, like, I've done this lately where I buy, you know, yeah, these special edition comics that come out. Of course, a lot of comics, if they're number ones especially, will have, like, an extra comic in the back and it's not related to the main story at all. Mm-hmm. I don't read those because they're not that good, nine times yeah. out of ten. Yeah, they did that with Deadpool. They did that with Harley uh, once or twice. Yeah. Yeah, I, I if, if it doesn't grab me in the first couple panels, I don't tend to read them either. Yeah, but uh, that's going to do it for what we're reading this week. And James did X-Men 92 as a poll for him. I did Wonder Woman number one annual, which is reality number 41. But DC wants to pretty much say, hey, look, it's a number one for everybody. So get involved. Which, again, you read, you open it up, you're like, can you imagine, though, you're going to pick up the Wonder Woman comic over at Bob's over at Fantasy Escape, the comics and cards, and you're, you thumb through it, and you think, oh, it's the number one issue for an annual, and you open it, it's like, war-torn final chapter, what the fuck? What's going on? <laughs> yep. But again, I want to mention as well that this segment is always brought to brought to you with fine folks and listeners by Fantascape Comics and Cards over in Aragorn Boulevard, Virginia Beach. Go check out Bob, all the great merchandise and Pop figures and comics he has. Great selection. Of course, magic as well. If you're into playing cards and hero clicks as well, got a big variety of those. But that's going to do it for what we're reading. Come up next, it's Geek Tamment, and we're going to be talking about Sense 8, Netflix's new, well, I don't know if you want to say psychological, but there's people, they think things, and they're all intertwined. It's very confusing. So that's coming up next on Down Nerdy. 
Well, if you ever have those days where you just don't feel like yourself, maybe you're not just yourself. Maybe it's not just you. Maybe that's not just you reaching in the popcorn. No, it's This Week in Geek Tainment and This Week, Nick. Finally, we're going to get a chance to sit down and talk about Netflix's first venture into sci-fi with Sense8. You mentioned a whole, maybe it's not you reaching into the popcorn. Yeah, because pretty much you have to have a whole cut in the bottom of it so that way you can figure much, for lack of a better phrase and uh, term, uh, do something to pretty much take your eyes off the screen off of this horrendous show. Uh, I don't know if I would go horrendous, but I would definitely it's, say... Okay, maybe not horrendous, maybe... Okay, confusing. It's, very, very confusing and slow, and I'm sorry, man. To, to me, this just shows the Wachowskis only hit gold once with the Matrix. The first Matrix since then has been horrendous. Well, I, I will say that uh, I'm a little further along than you were. Uh, we both had not finished this series yet for various reasons, but um, basically, if you don't know what it's about, it's a group of people from around the world that are suddenly linked mentally and must find a way to survive being hunted by those who would see them as a threat to the world's order. That's from IMDb. Here's my problem with that description of the show. I'm on episode either eight or nine, I can't really remember, um, and... Only one character out of the eight in the Sense Eight has ever really been hunted at all, right? And so it's like I'm going into this, this expecting that not not that they're going to be joined together right off the bat. I know that that kind of stuff takes time, but I'm expecting at least you know more than one of them to be hunted at various parts of the show. But at no point, even in this episode, do I feel like anybody's in danger from this quote-unquote threat except for the one character and that's the uh nomi character yeah and that's the thing too is a lot a lot of it settles on nomi and i don't know why and the thing is too this is called sensei so of course you have a variety of different people this is the problem with the wachowskis is they take on these projects with a lot of various main characters and they don't know how to evenly set out. It was a problem with Cloud Atlas. It was a problem with a lot of other stuff that Wachowskis had done. Uh, the later Matrix movies, when you had more characters come in, the stories were just like all over, fell all over the place. And I couldn't make it past episode four. I checked out. I couldn't because it was at a point where I, 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 I was forcing myself to watch it. Well, I think I think part of it for me was um, with like you're saying, with there being eight main characters. They have so, they're telling so many different stories at once. So the first episode was basically a here's who everybody is, here's where we're at kind of thing, which you kind of expect. And then you f- you kind of feel like after episode say three, okay, we're gonna start bringing things together. But it took them a long time to even connect the dots a little bit. I mean, the one story that that's kept me coming back to this show is Wolfgang's story, the German. Yeah. Uh, where it's kind of a heist storyline where he's stealing diamonds from this uncrackable and, safe. And, and I'll say this, is that of all the characters, I wish I spent more time on Wolfgang because, and granted, I watched like three or four episodes, but whenever they cut to him, I'm like, this is a guy who's got the most interesting story arc. He's got the most interesting one. But then they focus on like Nomi and Soonbach and people who don't really have the greatest of... Well, Soonbox does get more deep as the show goes in, so that that part you did not get to. Hers actually has meaning uh, towards, I think it's episode six, five or six, where you finally go, okay, so this is what her little piece of the puzzle is. And same thing with, uh, let's call him Van Damme, because they don't really say his actual name very much in the show, (laughs) the guy from Africa. So they get a little bit deeper into Van Damme's story. But there's a couple characters I want to talk about that... 
I, I don't understand where they fit in. And the first one is uh, Lita Rodriguez, the actor guy. Yeah. Uh, I could tell you right now that I can't remember again if I'm on episode eight or nine. I, I still don't know what his point is. Right. Everybody's kind of got their, oh, well, you know, like the, uh, like the cop, uh, Gorski from yeah. Chicago. Okay, well, he helps, uh, spoiler alert, he helps uh, Nomi pick her handcuffs and get away because he has that skill. So it's like, okay, so this guy brings something to the table. You've got uh, Nomi actually brings something to the table because she's a techie. Sumbak is the, is the fighter of the group. She's an underground uh, street fighter kind of thing. So everybody has their certain skill. This Leto guy, I still have no friggin' clue what his skill is supposed to be. He's kind of like the motif of the Sensei Captain Planet crew here. He's uh, he's the guy who has heart, and you don't know what the hell he's supposed to do with it, but then probably maybe, maybe later in the episodes or later next season or whatever, you find out he actually has a purpose. But, yeah, for the most part, I'm like, I agree with you. When he's there, it's like, especially when the storyline with him early on, I'm like, really? Really? Like, you're, 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 that's his purpose is he, well, he's, got he's, this, he's got this certain secret, but it's it's just like... Well, and you, that's it's, it's pretty obvious what the secret is yeah. right in the first episode. I mean, it's it's very obvious. Um, and, and it's funny because you keep getting these uh, in-and-out appearances by Jonas Maliki, who's supposed to be the one that's going to connect them all together and explain it all, but even he doesn't really explain it to them. Yeah. Which is funny. It's, he kind of explains it a little more as you go, but he only explains it really to a couple of the people, and that's and Riley kind of gets it, and uh, uh, Gorski, he kind of gets it. Everybody else sort of kind of falls into it. Now, I realize certain characters have connections to each other more than others, but I kind of get the sense that the central theme of this, the underlying theme, is, hey, we're all different. We all come from different parts of the world, but here's how I can help you with your problems just because we're all different. We can all come together from different parts of the world and help each other with our problems. And that's kind of not what I thought this show was going to be. Yeah, I thought it shows me more like an alias, more like, you know, not X-Men-y, but it's, you can tell it definitely borrowed from X-Men, which is the whole terms of... There were these, winks and nods, yeah. Yeah, with the, well, I mean, the whole premise of, you know, these senses... He sensates uh, being hunted because, you know, he has this Bolivar Trask-esque kind of guy, you know. And, and that's the thing. They never really – remember how you said in your Jurassic World review where you never really felt like the kids were in danger? Right. I never really felt like anybody except Nomi was in danger from this greater threat. And the greater threat doesn't even show up until like episode four or five. Yeah, and the thing other is, than other than the beginning, of course. Oh well, yeah, but again, like the beginning was kind of interesting when the first in the first episode. But like I said, as you progress to it, I'm just looking at my TV. I'm looking at my 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 computer. I'm looking at my phone. I'm just like, you know, something happens, and I'm like, but it's not like, oh my god, I got rewinded because I missed it. It's like, oh, it, I could tell. It was yeah, where it was see, go. exactly. I found myself kind of walking away and not pausing it, and that's yeah. never a good sign. Um, I, ha- I'm, I'm to the point now where I'm, I'm in and I, now I need to see the end. But, um, I also, again, I say that I'm on episode eight or nine. A, I can't remember which episode I'm on and B, the show has been out for a couple weeks now. Yeah. I haven't felt that draw to go back and say, I need to finish this. I'm going to, because I, now I need to see what happens. Now, here's, now I need to see if it's all been worth it. Here's a question I want. That's actually a really good question I want to ask you. Do you think that Netflix is getting on that Marvel level where they cannot do any wrong? 
that people they're gonna have those that group of fans that think no matter how bad a show is like I said I'm not a fan of Sensei and like I said it's more of because it's confusing the writing I think is very very poor but you had people say well it's Netflix and Netflix can't do any wrong because they do with Orange's New Black and Lilyhammer and Daredevil I I think that they've kind of gotten there uh, I I sort of felt that way a little bit. I'll, I'm not going to lie because everything they've done has been so good and what they did with Daredevil and what they've done with even shows that have been canceled and they've brought back like The Killing. Right. Um, but I don't know. If this is their first venture into sci-fi. I, I start to wonder if they really know what sci-fi is. Right. The premise is sci-fi. I will tell you right now, if you're going into this thinking this is a sci-fi show, it is not. Nope. sci-fi show that that's the that's the main problem it represented itself as something that it wasn't as a standalone if it wasn't named a sci-fi show you called this a drama as a drama it works as a sci-fi show it does not work if you ever want to wonder what this show is kind of like too it's it's again the wachowskis going back to their matrix routes it's like if you had a series based on the oracle and but the Oracle spread out over like eight different people. Yeah. And, and, but who had convoluted storylines that didn't make sense. You didn't know what certain people's purposes were. And it's just, again, it's one of those things where, you know. <sighs> well, here's the deal. And, and I understand what you're saying. But here's the deal. You don't understand what people's purposes are. But you at least kind of start to see a light at the end of the tunnel. You see, okay, this person's clearly going to bring this to the table like uh the the indian woman's uh character kayla i don't know what her purpose is i i I think that her storyline again as a drama her storyline makes sense i get it and i get that she's struggling with family issues like wolfgang is and that's why they're connected but I don't get what her end game is in this grand we're all being hunted thing. And I, I kind of feel like that's what they tried to represent, that everybody has their purpose and everybody from each walk of life is going to bring something different to the table. Yeah. But it they haven't brought it in. And I think by the eighth or ninth episode, you got to kind of bring it all in. I'm not saying they all have to be together fighting the forces of evil necessarily, but you got to at least show me what everybody's going to bring to the table. Otherwise, I could see half this cast go away and be okay with them focusing on, let's say, let's say half of them are gone and you're left with Nomi, Wolfgang, Riley, and Gorski. Right. You focus on those four, I think you're good. Maybe you sub out Riley for Sunbach. I mean, if you've got a favorite character, I get it. But... For some again, of these people, it's like, and, and then like going back to the, and I just want to preface this really quickly okay. uh, with uh, Van Damme's character. There's a point in the show where he's helping out this kind of overlord uh, drive his daughter to these, uh, to these treatments for, I think she has leukemia mm-hmm. and there's this, and it's going through his enemy territory. He's like, you're a good driver and I've seen what you've been able to do and you can get her there and back, which he does. So you kind of start to feel for this overlord guy and you think, yeah, maybe he's a great guy. He loves his daughter. And then one of the episodes, they have to remind you that he's still a bad guy because he, spoiler alert, cut some guy's hands off that was stealing from him or something. Right. So it's like, oh no, wait, he's not a good guy. He cuts people's hands off. So just remember that he's not a good guy. So I agree. It's a little disjointed. I, I, I'm invested now. I have to see what happens. But uh, out of 10, I'm almost afraid to ask. 
out of ten, <laughs> what, what what kind of a rating are you gonna give Sense Eight? Three. I give it a three out of ten. Uh, I think that the opening sequence was pretty cool. Uh, but other than that, it it just goes towards every like all the pitfalls which Chaskis are known for in their films and all their projects. It's again, I look at a, a film like Cloud Atlas where you had multiple storylines weave through the entire film. And none of it was, you know, interesting. Or then the time when they find somebody interesting, they cut them out and they bring in something that doesn't make any sense. And again, when it comes to interweaving storylines, the Wachowskis are not good at it at all. So I give it a three out of ten. I'm going to give it a, because I'm a little bit further than you, I'm going to give it a six out of ten. Only because there were some really cool sequences in some of the singular stories the the Wolfgang story really grabbed me a lot, so I really enjoyed what they did with that. But the disjointedness and them not really sticking to one to to one side once it gets interesting, they pull you right away. And then the fact that they don't really go back to it, and they haven't connected things, and there's no real threat. I think the pitfall that this show fell into was that it was presented as a sci-fi show. It is not a sci-fi show. This was a drama series, and it was billed as a drama series. From the beginning, I think the criticisms wouldn't be as harsh, but I'm, I've got to give it a 6 out of 10 only because there were some good parts about it, but the parts that I could do without, I could really do without. So I'm guessing there's not going to be a Sense8 comic in Fantasy Escape Comics Cards in Virginia Beach. Just going on a limb there. Just calling it. But we've got some major breaking nerd news that came out this week, and we'll get to that next coming up on Down and Nerdy. This is comic book writer and co-creator of Deadpool, Fabian Niciasa, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, boys and girls, nerds alike, where we go around the interwebs and find out what's trending, because it's time for what, James? Nerd News! I think the biggest news of the week has to be by hands down, Crystal Pepsi's coming back! Yeah, I mean, the first time I heard the announcement, I mean, I felt like a kid in a, in a candy store. It was like going to Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory all over again. I was so poppy, poppy, fizzy, fizzy, excited. It's not even funny. Yeah, I mean, you know, Crystal Pepsi, I, it was kind of came before my time. And everybody's like, oh, we got the whole, you know, we don't want to drink the Crystal Pepsi. Even though it's the same Pepsi, it's just clear. We want, give me the stuff that looks like tar, and I want to drink that. You know, there's some, you know, there's also some small Spider-Man news, I guess, you can talk about, too. But, I mean, yeah. everybody's talking about the Spider-Man news, so yeah. why talk about it? Yeah, who was that guy again that put out that parkour video on YouTube? That guy. I don't know his name. He's in oh, something. God. Oh, I think you're talking about Tom Holland. Who oh, that's movie. right. That's right. So, Tom Holland, of course, this is the biggest news of the week. Uh, Tom Holland is the new Spider-Man. And I got to tell you, I think that they got it right. And I don't think Asa Butterfield will ever talk to Reddit again. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> because supposedly that's what kind of got him out of the running for the whole thing, which I think is crappy. But no, Tom Holland was the right choice. Yeah. He looks the part. He clearly has the ability to do this. So I'm excited. Well, I should say that. But I mean, Marvel got an unknown. You know what I'm saying? They, yeah. he's, he's been in a few things. He started, you know. He his IMDb page really hasn't really been anything since you know or started at least since 2010, and he's been in, like movies and miniseries, but always mostly stuff over like in England and across the pond and everything else and overseas. Uh, Wolf Hall, The Apostle, a couple of things he's been in, but you know when you found out that he screen tested with Chris Chris Evans and Rob Downey Jr., you're like, okay, that's the thing too is when you screen test, that's the mm. big thing. 
being able to go away and say, okay, read a line, and you have a casting director across you, and they'll read a line, but not in character or anything else, right. just read it, and you do it. But when you screen test, and you have to interact, especially with Cap and Iron Man, that's big, and that tells a lot. And I'm glad they're going, he's a more younger route. He actually is, I think, 16. You know what I'm saying? He actually yeah. is a teenager, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it, it makes sense. And I'm glad that Spider-Man is already going to be... You know, we talked about this months ago when the whole deal went down. Glad they're not doing the, the, the rebooting Spider-Man, but it's not going to be a total system reboot. He already does exist, everything else, so it's great. We're not getting into Origins. And everybody's saying there's rumor going around, well, you know, oh, he's going to have a – he's just going to cameo in Civil War. Bullshit. He's no. just going to cameo in Civil War. No, he's going to – I mean, there, he's reporting to the set immediately. There's not just going to be just a cameo for this kid. They are going to make sure that he is in this movie just like he should be a big part. Of this movie. The question is, you know, what what are they going to do with it? What side are they going to put him on kind of thing? And it's, it's going to be interesting because this is his introduction into the MCU. So to put his introduction into the MCU in this movie is kind of very interesting. And that's the thing is that, you know, you think about it, the rebooting Spider-Man, the, of course, the actual live action regular Spider-Man film will be in theaters July 28th, 2017. Mm-hmm. However... This is, I could not think of a better way to introduce him into the MCU, though, than with Civil War, because he is such an integral part of Civil War. Oh, definitely. And he's 19, by the way. Yeah. He's 19 years old. He'll be 21 by the time the first Spider-Man standalone movie actually comes out. Which is but. great, because, I mean, Andrew Garfield, it's one of those things, this is, it's, it's one of those things where, again, I haven't seen anything with Tom Holland, he's, a bunch of, he's very much an unknown actor, so we don't know how he's going to pursue Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Here's the thing, you know, Tobey Maguire, really good Peter Parker. Andrew Garfield, really good Spider-Man, not a great Peter Parker. Could this could this be when they finally got right and got both sides right? We, you know, we'll find out when the movie comes out. But again, you introduce him at this time, he's about to be 20 or he's 19. Andrew Garfield was, what, in his 30s when he got the role? Yeah, so I kind of like that he's 5'8", too, you know? Well, the height... And you have, again, the age, I think, plays the fact. Because yeah. like, I think in, in, in TV, in general, it's like people who are like 30 years old are playing high school. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you have a guy who's only a few months remo- years removed from high school. I mean, he looks 16. Exactly. He does. He, he looks, looks, looks it. He's 19, but he looks 16 for sure. Exactly. So I think this would be great. I can't wait for it to see how he pursues it. I can't wait how they're going to do the suit and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, yeah, and I'm glad it's not Ace of Butterfield because I'm just like, he, I, I, no. No, man, no. Yeah, they they definitely got it right on this one, I think. And I, I can't wait to see what they do going forward. I kind of hope they go back classic Spidey suit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. With the blue on the bottom kind of thing. I kind of hope they do that, but we'll see what they end up deciding to do. Exactly. But speaking of people who have decided on things, continuing on the other side of the, not movies, but going to television per se, going with DC, is Legends of Tomorrow, Deadline reported that producer Greg Berlanti has chosen one of his top writers producers as showrunner for upcoming DC's Legends of Tomorrow, which is Phil Klemmer, who previously worked with Berlanti on The Tomorrow People, Golden Boy, and Political Animals, and he's been tapped as an executive producer and showrunner for the upcoming uh, ensemble show 
And so your thoughts on this, James? That makes sense because uh, I actually thought Tomorrow People was a good show. I wish that they would have uh, they would have given it a little bit of a chance, at least given it a second season, CW. That means that he's worked with Robbie Amell before as well. And we know yeah. Robbie Amell will probably be a little bit of a part of Legends of Tomorrow. Um, I think it's a good choice. I think I like that they're kind of keeping it in the family kind of thing. Uh, you know that uh, Mark Guggenheim's still going to be around. Andy Kreisberg's still going to be around. So, I mean, you're still going to keep the band back together. They did not leave, They did not give us a premiere date yet oh. for Legends of Tomorrow, but we do have the Flash premiere date. It's going to be on October the 6th and, of course, followed by Air on October 7th. And we found out earlier today that Gotham on Fox is going to premiere on September 21st, so a little bit earlier. Exactly. If also, if you're an I Zombie fan, it's going to be premiering with Flash as yeah, well on October right. 6th. Right. But I think it's great. Keeping it with the family. Do it works. The formula works. You got to, you know, one thing I like seeing is I like seeing promotion from within. Right. So this guy was a writer and, you know, yeah, he was a producer, but, you know, uh, Berlanti choosing, you know, Clemmer to take over, it's, it's really great. You know, it's like saying, okay, this is one of my top writing and producing guys. You know what? Let's give him that little bump, that big bump to showrunner. Yeah, and, you and, earned it, dude. Exactly. You know, so I mean, again, really, really happy for him. I really can't wait to see how DC's Legends of Tomorrow looks. I want another trailer. I probably watched the first trailer about 20,000 oh, times. Yeah. Uh, but here's the thing, too, is going back into the movie realm, James, we also talk about Independence Day 2, of course. The sequel is going to be directed by Roland Emmerich. It's actually going to be coming out. Uh, 20th Century Fox is dated for June 24th, 2016. I believe that's nearly 20 years after the original was released. Yes. And pretty much everybody's coming back from the first movie. You know, Vivica Fox, Goldblum, uh, Leon Hemsworth, the newcomer, is going to be in there. You know, Judd Hirsch is in there. Celia Ward's in there as well. She's going to be a newcomer. I think Bill- she's the president this time, or is it Vivica Fox? Well, Bill Pullman, who played President Thomas J. Whitmore in the original, is returning for the sequel. Oh, nice. So, we don't know, again, we don't know if he's going to be present still or whatever. Probably but, not, but he's going to be in the part funny. because he was. I mean, he was a pilot, too. Let's not forget that. Right. It's kind of funny, though, when I look at some of this cast, and it's like, and this is just not just with Independence Day, but with, like, Heroes Reborn and stuff like that, when people say, this person's coming back to play this role on this new reboot or this reincarnation of a show they were famously on. It's like, yeah, what the fuck else were they doing? You know, in some cases, it's like, what was Bill Pullman really doing? I know, like, I'm excited that Masioka's coming back to play Hero on Heroes, but at the same time, I thought the same thing. I'm like, okay, why wouldn't he do that? Right. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's it's one of those things where, like, some people probably, like, waiting for that phone to ring and say, hey, we're rebooting, we're doing a sequel to that one movie you were in 20 years ago, and I know you're not really doing much work, so... I mean, it's not like Villa Ventimiglia, who had Gotham going on, and he's got a couple other shows going on now, too. He's... He's working. I understand why he wouldn't want to come back. And uh, the uh, the other guy that was that played his brother there is General Eiling in the Marvel Universe. So he's not going to come back. Yeah. So you get that. But when somebody's not doing anything, yeah, what what else would they be doing? And, of course, the story revolves around the nations of Earth having collaborated in an immense defense program to protect it. But, of course, aliens come in and ruin the day. So, James, what is your, maybe not hope, but... What is your thoughts on Independence Day four? Well, I, or, or, or Independence Day two. I, I like the fact that they're the subtitle is going to be Resurgence, and they changed that. I can't even remember what god awful thing that they wanted to call it before that. Um, yeah. You look at the first set photo; it almost looks like the the ship is like a walker. Yeah. So I think that that's very cool. Uh, maybe that's a wink and a nod to Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. I don't know. What I hope is is that it, it's kind of like a okay. 
we hacked it. We hacked the aliens in the first one, brought down their ships, and they've taken their time to figure out how they got defeated the first time. Yeah. Now they're coming back. Now they're back at full force, and they're going to come back and finish the job that they thought they started in the first one. Yeah. But no Randy Quaid, though, of course. He died the first one. <laughs> yeah, he kind of uh, he kind of bit the bullet there. He kind of yep. you know took one for the team, as it were. But oh, will, yeah. will his family play a role I don't know. in this next movie? Because remember, the family was still left behind. So does does one of the kids decide to go into the armed forces or something and become a great pilot like his dad was or something? I, I don't know. I mean, the reason why I said it depends on the four, too, because in, in my head... I'm looking at all the thing about like all the promotion from back in the day for the first Independence Day. They always said ID four. ID four, yeah. So that's why I was like, oh, okay, that's what. But How I mean, can it be four when it's the first one? Yeah, but it was just <laughs> yeah, but it was just uh, you know, I look at this and I look at the casting and everything else. I'm just like, okay, cool. But again, I'm not expecting a lot out of it. I mean, I'm not. I'm expecting <laughs> it to be what it is, and yeah. I think that it's I, a Roland Emmerich movie. You know, you don't expect much. It's kind of like when Men in Black two came out. You right. kind of had to be like, okay, you really know what you're getting yourself into right. with Men in Black too. The The first one was great, and then when you get to the sequel and you kind of see what it's about, it's like, okay, so I know what to expect here. So, yeah, don't get your hopes super high for this. I yeah. still think it's cool that they're doing another one. I wouldn't go past two, um, but I wouldn't get your hopes too high. It's going to be a very nostalgic piece. It's not going to be like Jurassic World. Okay? Exactly. It's going to Exa- be a nostalgia piece. Exactly, and uh, well, speaking of nostalgia, James, actually glad you brought that up because our final story deals with back issues of comics. Now, of course, you can go to Bob's over Fan Escape Comics and Cards and get some back issues. There's a lot of long boxes there with some nice back issues and stuff, but now a lot of stuff now is going towards digital. And mm-hmm. now you have you know the Marvel Now thing, which is ten dollars a month, and you get their back issues. However, the only problem with that is their back issues are six months old. Right now. Here's the thing that's kind of kicking things in the balls is that Kindle owners can now purchase single issues through Amazon's store without needing the Comixology app as before. And not only that, but you'll be able to purchase up to 12,000 back issues like Guardians of the Galaxy, Daredevil, and so on at the Kindle store. And they're going to be available the same day they arrive in regular stores. Yeah, and when we say back issues, we're talking current Marvel. Yeah. Not like 90s Marvel, because they already had some old Marvel stuff at the Amazon store. We're talking like, in the story that uh, this was actually in, Ant-Man number one was the comic that they were showing on the Kindle. The exactly. Ant-Man number one that just came out. So that's why this is a big deal. We're talking current issue Marvel stuff that's going to be available at the Amazon store. And 12,000 issues right off the jump. That is a big, big deal. And then right around the same time we heard that news, Nick, we found out that you mentioned Comixology. The Comixology is going to put all their past published works, maybe not all of it, but their huge extensive catalog on Comixology now. So you're talking about stuff like Hellboy and Buffy and Sin City and stuff like that, even some of their manga stuff. So this is a big, big deal this week for digital comics. Yeah, and here's the thing with digital is, is you know, everybody's getting they're starting to get to that push now. And, we, you know, off the air last night, we are talking about, you know, what will be that one – we're waiting for that one publisher. Most likely it will probably be an indie. And, you know, that we'll take that jump and say, you know what? We're done with print. We're going straight on full on digital. And, I mean, the overhead costs alone would be greatly diminished. 
Yeah. So you'd almost you almost couldn't blame them. Yeah. But at the same, I mean, we were talking about this too, and I, I know there's a controversy. And we've both said many times, you know, I gotta have that print comic in my hand. I'm gonna relay a story from my own life really quickly. Okay. Of course, there's no there's no stranger to anybody who's listening to the show. I have a newborn son at home. He's 10 months old right now. He's crawling all over the place. It's not exactly easy to read comics right now. No, especially when your son has super baby strength. Yeah, and I mean, you don't want him to put the death grip on your on your pristine copy of Dr. Fate number one or something like that. You want to be able to preserve that. So there was one day last week, I do have a Kindle. And uh, I, t- I put all my Marvel stuff, because you know the Marvel stuff comes with digital copies a lot. So right. I'll put the digital copies on my Marvel app, which I can read on my Kindle through Comixology. I got through about six comics in less than an hour. Wow. Just because I was able to read it on my Kindle. And I thought about it, I was like, huh, you know what? If he grabs my tablet, it's no big deal. Right, and here's the thing too is, you mentioned you read the six and one. Now there were times like I, you know, will be sitting in my my apartment and I got my stack of comics and I'm, you know, it'd be like six or eight or whatever. When you look at that physically, even though I we love comics, we love reading them. That's a lot when you see something physically. Like man, I gotta go through yeah, eight comics exactly. But when it's digital, it's kind of like Netflix. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like mm-hmm. you have oh my god, I have twelve episodes. It's like oh, I have twelve episodes. You know. I and then when you get to the end of that issue, like if when I put like a whole bunch of my digital stuff on at the same time, the Marvel right. digital copies. When you get to the end of one, if it's the same run, it says read now. You just hit the next one after you're done with the one previous, and it'll take you right to the next one. You don't have to take it out of the bag and board and anything like that. And I know that's not a big deal. And people are like, really? You can't just unbag and board your comics? Well, yeah, I can, but. You know, I gotta find a nice place to put it. If my right. son cries, I gotta go change the diaper. My dogs need to go outside. I can't just shove it on the table or shove it on the floor. I gotta find a high up, dry place to put this thing. You know? Exactly, and that's the thing too. Is you know, people like worry like, well, Nick, you said you you always be that physical kind of guy where you gotta have that physical copy in your hand, and it's like, yes. However, here's the thing, though, and we talked about this last night. Like, you know. If I get a girlfriend and we get to that point where, as all couples do, you move in together. I have a comic book shelf with comics on it, okay? I'm not buying another shelf because I need to expand on my comics and stuff like that. You know know what I'm saying? So sooner or later, you know, hey, we move into a spot, but there's only so much room because it's my stuff and her stuff. Right. And my, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, well, some stuff's got to go. It's just got to right. go. And, and for I don't me, have room. And the same thing goes when I have kids. I'm going to have to do the same thing. That's and I'm exactly sorry. Point. I'm sorry, but long boxes aren't sexy. You know, I'm sorry. You know, I don't, I can't. They're not, no. They're not. No. And it's just, because at the point, like, yeah, I can put long boxes underneath on the bottom shelf of my bookcase or whatever and stack. I can probably get like about four or five of them underneath there. Yeah, you try having a long box on the bottom shelf of your bookcase when you've got kids. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That, but I'm like, it's not aesthetically pleasing because it looks no. like you haven't. It's like you've moved, but you've just not unpacked anything. You look like a medical medical uh, records office. Yeah. At some point, you know, and and like you were saying with the kid thing, you know, we've got a three bedroom house. We've got Jameson in one room. We've got my wife and I in one, and then I have like my own little nerd cave off to the side. Guess what? We have another baby. Guess what happens to that nerd cave? That goes bye-bye. It becomes one of the kids' rooms, or we put both kids in that bigger room. Right. So then what do I do with all these comics? 
And I know, I know, I know, I know. I don't want print to die ever. I will always buy print comics. I'm not dropping my pull tomorrow, okay? I'm just saying that you have to suck it up, realize that digital is a viable piece of what's going on in the comics world right now. Exactly. Digital's big. And here's the thing is because I'm somebody who hates clutter. I really do. I hate clutter. I hate having boxes in my, you know, I have like, five shoe boxes, a pair of like Nikes in my closet. I pretty much threw out all the, all the shoe boxes. I'm like, I'm, I'm just put all my shoes on my shelf. I can't, I can't handle any sort of clutter. Yeah. There's a box that's gone, you know? And my thing is just, when I look at it, I look at digital comics. I'm like, I guess I, is, can we get to that point where maybe I will stop buying print altogether? No, but there might be a point and it might be coming within the next couple of years where I only buy number ones, you know, where I only buy number ones on in in print and everything else I go digital for. You know, Just I remember went, the second the cloud was invented. Yep. Things were no, were no longer finite because the the knock before would have been, well, you know, if you have digital, you're going to run a hard drive space. Yep. Okay, I get that. Guess what? Now when you're done reading something on your hard drive, you delete it from your device, whether it's your computer, your tablet, whatever. You want to read it again? You re-download it. Yep. It's in the cloud, okay? So that's hard to argue with, and there's no deterioration with a digital comic. Exactly. So, I mean, like I said, we don't, we're we big fans of, of print, but we know that it's, that day's coming. You know, yeah. it's kind of like, to go back to Netflix, I have, t- you know, I don't buy much, many DVDs anymore, and it's at the point where I've looked at my collection for a while, which is, I mean, you've been on my part, you've seen it, it's yep. pretty much, it's two dressers full of DVDs, or two dressers of drawers full of DVDs, pretty much, that's how my, my TV stand looks in my living room, and I'm looking at my DVDs, I'm like, this is on Netflix, this is on Netflix, this is on Netflix, and so on and so forth, and I'm like, you know what, other than my Blu-rays, do I really need all these DVDs? And like, you've got Ultraviolet, really? you've got Ultraviolet, a lot of people have put their uh, DVDs on their Ultraviolet collection in the cloud, and gotten rid of the DVDs. Exactly. That's what a lot of people have done, and it's a space saver, man. Exactly. That's what's going to come down to is, is just space. And now as technology goes, we're going to have more hard drive space, more gigs, everything else. Mm-hmm. To store all that stuff on. And like I said, it's, you know, when Mortal Kombat, it was the first digital combat, digital combat, Jesus Christ. It's the first digital comic I bought. And like I said, it didn't bother me. I read digital, I'm like, okay, the art looks the same on digital as it does in print. You know, I'm just like, that's the thing. Like I said, but it might get to that point where I won't get rid of my poll, but maybe I'll just get just number ones instead, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, or certain issues you want. Like, when I read Batman Hush on yeah. digital, I loved it so much, that I was like, you know what, I want to go back and get the back issues and get the collection. At, yeah. The single issues, not the trade, I'm going to get the single issues. So I am going to do that. And I think that can prompt you to do that. If you really like a run on digital, somebody like me, I'm going to go out and buy the print yep. because I want it exactly. as, a, as a collectible piece. So don't think that digital can't lead to print as well. I think that they can work hand in hand. Can you imagine, too, if there's an option, and this might happen, this could happen, it's less than I'll say before we move on to our main topic, can you imagine maybe like a year, a couple years on the in the future where if you have a printer, you can print your comic oh on on like through you know through yes. your app. You can print out the comic book in physical form if you want. Yeah, you want a physical copy? Print it yourself, kind of thing. I could totally see that happening. 
Yeah. I really could. And and this, I mean, you can't fight progress, man. No. I mean, you just can't. So, I mean, we're still going to get to read all the comics we love. You're worried about, well, I can't get a digital comic signed by my favorite artist. No, but you can buy their print and get them to sign that. Yeah. Everybody's got prints at cons. Okay? That's why that's why I do it with Fabian. Like, you know, we were at the con, I just bought a a, a print and I went over to Fabia, Fabian and I'm like, big Deadpool fan, can you sign it for me? And he said, sure, and he signed the bottom of it. You know, there it's you awesome. And but that's gonna do it for Nerd News. Come up next, our main topic. We're talking about the video game hall of fame, who's our choice. We actually, a lot of listeners write in their choices as well for their own video game hall of fame. So stay tuned, that's coming up next on Down Nerdy. Hi, this is Bob Lee, Fantasy Escape Comics Card, Virginia Beach, and you are listening to the Down and Dirty Podcast. Well, fresh off of E3 2015, we kind of had to go back and revisit something that happened a couple weeks before that because it's caused a lot of debate around the interwebs, and it's the Video Game Hall of Fame nominations. Now, Nick, there's been a lot of controversy about the games that were chosen and maybe even some that weren't chosen. Exactly. So pretty much the first inductees, you got Pac-Man, you have Super Mario Brothers, the original, uh, you have Tetris, and you have World of Warcraft, and Doom. And I'm sorry, World of Warcraft should not be on No, there. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care how much and of I'm, a WoW fan you are. That's yeah. not, that should not be a first inductee. Uh, Doom, I said Doom is tough because it's a shooter. But again, the problem, that's the problem with Doom, I think. is like, do they, do they really bring it in just because they say, we need a shooter? You know, we can't have well, They want to be different. You know, I we, think, you know, we have a platformer. We have a puzzle. I think with Doom, I think Doom got in because it was the first great shooter. Right. I, and, and it was a PC. And I've, again, don't forget, you're bringing in PC to yeah. the Video Game Hall of Fame because a lot of these games weren't really known as PC games. So like, okay, we need a PC game. Just like the PC panel at E3. All right, we need to include PC. So I think that was another reason that Doom got in because they were kind of... I know Tetris is PC. Don't start screaming like, well, Tetris is a PC game. No, Tetris is a puzzle game. Yeah. This is a true PC shooter game. I think that's why Doom got in. Yeah, Tetris, of course. I mean, I, I other the other ones I, I don't have no argument with because, I mean, you know, Mario, the first Mario launched what we know today as Mario. And, mm-hmm. you know, you have Tetris, which today is still the all-time best-selling video game of all time, still selling tons and tons of copies. And, of course, when you had a Game Boy, that was, of course, probably most, oh, more no likely doubt. the first game you got. Unlike me, where my first game actually was Killer Instinct. Thank you, Mom. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um, but, uh, you know, and Pac-Man, of course. You can't, you can't go wrong with that. But I threw this out on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash downnerdy. I threw it on uh, my Twitter as well, at Merkel and Arm, of who would be your... Uh, if you had put four games into the, into the Hall of Fame. Now, James and I could do ours a little bit differently. We could do more first ballot. I just threw it out there to people as, if you had picked four games, what would you put in? Right. And we got a pretty good amount, about you know, nine or ten people. Uh, Cody, or angry fat guy, said Mario 3, Mortal Kombat, Super Tecmo Bowl, and Battletoads. I understand Tecmo Bowl because that was, like, maybe the first great football game that really yeah. had its shit together. So I, I understand that. Battletoads, that's a nostalgia pick for him. Yeah, uh, I love Battletoads too, but I, I can't put it in the Hall of Fame. Mortal not, Kombat. Not right I, I can see Mortal Kombat because it did it did create the ESRB. Mm-hmm. So you have that Mario Three. The only thing this is my problem with sequels. You wouldn't have a Mario Three unless it was for Mario One. Right, and that's why I can't do that either. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I understand Mario Three was 
a fantastic next level step up sequel game, but I, I can't put it in before Mario. Uh, Robert says Sonic One, Mega Man Three, NBA Jam Tournament Edition, and Mario Kart. Again, without NBA Jam, you wouldn't have had NBA Jam TE. Even though, again, NBA Jam <laughs> TE it put in some different stuff, and it was a step up. You can't you can't do that if you're if you're me. Exactly. And the first, Sonic One was great, but Sonic Two I think was better only because you could spin dash. Yeah. You couldn't spin yeah. dash in, in the first game. Yeah. Uh, Josh says Super Mario Brothers, Pac-Man, Mortal Kombat, and Zelda. Yeah, I, I agree with him on, on that. Uh, Scott says Super Mario Brothers, Super Metroid, Ocarina of Time, Miss Pac-Man. See, I can see Metroid because Metroid was... Well, he said Super Metroid. I'm going to say, I'm, I'm, if you're looking at original Metroid... Look at the stuff on Nintendo. Metroid was so different. It was that. It was one of those Nintendo games that actually took you a pretty good amount of time to finish, which is kind of a wink and a nod to today's games. And that, like you said with Arkham Knight, you're gonna have to invest at least 12 hours if you were going nonstop perfect to finish this game. So I could see putting Metroid in there. Exactly. Tyler says Super Mario Brothers, Pac-Man, Doom, and Halo. Jerry says Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, Fallout 3, and Wolfenstein. Wolfenstein, I'm not going to lie. The first Wolfenstein was um, really good. Yeah, it was really good. So uh, Don, in big caps, Joust. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Joust was fun. I would play that when I go to the arcade. It was fun, but ah, Hall of Fame, come on. We know uh, you're playing with us. Uh I don't. I don't hate Jerry's list. No. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if you could put Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man in at the same time. They're cool because they're similar. Yeah. Uh, so that's probably why Kevin says NBA Live '95, Sonic One, Two, and Three, Shinobi, and Goldeneye 007. I'm Goldeneye. not gonna lie, NBA Live '95 was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. loved it. Yeah, you were about like 40 at that time when it came out, right? Oh yeah, something like that. Yeah. It was but before. Gold- it was before the cane. Goldeneye, I can see because like as a, if you're talking maybe first ballot or even second ballot, I can see Goldeneye on there because it was literally one of the best, not the best shooter of all time. I think. I well, think Goldeneye should have gotten on. I think even maybe before Doom. I'm sorry. It's I, that's funny because but. video game adaptations of movies aren't yeah. always great. I mean, look at the Amazing Spider-Man games. Yeah. But that was one that was like this is but this a is lot pretty it, good. And a lot of it was because of the multiplayer aspect. You know, you could play four people at one time. And I remember my yeah. friends and I in college. College, had an N64, and we would just use paintball guns and play paintball hide and seek, and and, nice. our, and it would be great. Uh, Jawan says Madden, the brand, Tecmo Football, and Duck Hunt. I can't really argue that much with Duck Hunt. No, well, because it did come with Mario. Because so. it was literally a shooter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you actually had the gun <laughs> yeah, you plugged in. It's literally the first shooter. I mean, you want to talk about Doom where you're punching keys? This one had a gun you fired at the screen. And this was Nintendo's introduction. Yeah. They had that in their first Nintendo game, Nintendo series. Oh, I also forgot to mention, I believe Pong got in as well as the first ballot as I well. I can't believe Power Glove didn't get in. I know, right? Oh my god. <laughs> that, that's, that's another one, dude. If you had like a Hall of Fame of like uh, accessories. accessories. This is going to uh, be Accessories Wing. I'm just Yeah, I'm just going to brush through the rest of them real quick. Uh, Jacob says Journey, Mega Man X, Metal Gear Solid, and Donkey Kong Country. Mike says Fallout 3, Pac-Man, Grand Theft Auto 5, Halo 2. Andrew says Half-Life 2, Ocarina of Time, Galaga, Super Mario, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. <laughs> 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 oh. uh, and Mike finally says Pong, Pac-Man, oh. Legend of Zelda, and Super Mario Brothers old school. 
Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of these lists I can't argue with. There's a lot of good stuff on there. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much controversy is going to be in our lists, to be honest. I don't know. Mine's kind of different. I mean, it's not really, but it's not a lot. You know, it's, it's you know, who do you want to go first? You want me to go first or you want you to go first? Um, you can go first. The way I did mine was I, I thought, okay, who would I put in? On the first ballot, so that's yeah. where I was mentally when I picked my four. So yeah, that's what, how what we you... that's how we did it. We thought of the main topic. We're like, let's let's do this first ballot. And again, when it came to you know the list, you the listeners putting your stuff up there. Thank you very much. Again, we wasn't we weren't looking for first ballot. We just wanted to get responses and say, hey, who would you put in? Mm-hmm. And again, thank you everybody who uh, put in the responses. But I'll go first. So of course, I gotta put Tetris in there because again, it's what it's you know has not only. The best-selling game of all time still is. It has a memorable theme, and mm-hmm. it again, it's it's a classic. You cannot put it in terms of puzzle games. I think it really kicked off the puzzle rev- revolution and the way we see puzzle games now. Uh, Pac-Man's another one. A lot of my first three are going to be ones that are already going to be getting in first ballot. Pac-Man because again, it's it's the classic. It was one of the first. And, I mean, it really, you know, in the 90s, even early in the mid-2000s, early 2000s, you couldn't walk into an arcade and not mm-hmm. see Pac-Man. Oh, a legit on, arcade, anyway. Yeah, a legit arcade. On, uh, Pac-Man, not only the cabinet, and you also, if you were lucky, if you had a laundromat back in the 90s, you had the flat top, the flat table. Ca- uh, uh, I am so building one of those at some point. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to be able to do it, but I, I've got lumber waiting in my backyard just waiting for me to build that sucker. My wife knows I'm doing it, too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, uh, uh, but I said, you could, and also, like, we, you know, we went to get tokens. Pac-Man was all over the token yep. machines and everything else, so Pac-Man's on there. Four, I'm going Oregon Trail. Wow, you know I what? Think Oregon Trail should be on there. A lot of people aren't going to say that, and I think that's a good point because think about it. That was the basis of your existence in school for a little bit. Well, I mean, when things kind of got a lull, you got to play Oregon Trail. It kind of brought you back to where you were. Not to mention, it was a damn good game. Well, plus it was always fun to like put your friends in there and be like, just walk up to them at the, at the school bus the next day and be like, hey, uh, Dan, guess what? Well, I played Oregon Trail. You died of dysentery. <laughs> How's that typhoid working out for you? Exactly. <laughs> but that's the thing too. Like certain friends of mine would be like, they would ask, you know, we would ask you, like, you know, we would tell each other we put each other in the, in the Oregon Trail game as characters. And every other day, people would ask, you know, did I survive? Did I die? No, you didn't. You made it. And it's kind of like that. It's kind of like that, that kind of thing. Because, hey, it's kind of like early version of trolling your friends. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But it was just, again, it was a way of, in a sense, it's kind of multiplayer-esque in a sense. It made you feel like you're really immersed in the game. And again, it was a, it's the best learning game. It's still played today in schools. And even people today, there's mobile apps for Oregon Trail that I find myself playing mm-hmm. from time to time. And even computer games of Oregon Trail. And like I said, it, it, it's one of those things where nostalgia, yes, but also it's one of those games where it stands the test of time. Where yes, the final thing is to get to Oregon. But man, who didn't love hunting? You know, and right. and, and shooting the big bison when they came across the screen, and, get and you had to get your supplies and stuff like that. You had to find out where to cross the river, kind of stuff. That and was a really lot going about on. It. When it comes to education games, really one of the first games, I think, as far as education, I think maybe games overall, that had an attribute system where yeah. you picked your job. Like, if you're a banker, you're good with money, but you can't hunt for shit. And, you know, you know your shooting is like a minus whatever. If you're a hunter or gatherer, you know, you're good at hunting, but you can't, you know, do other things and work money. And work, or you're not good at trading. 
you know, and it was really, really awesome. And it was a had, strategy game that wasn't built as a strategy game. Yeah, it was built as, you know, a learning game, educational game, a shooter. It was an educational game, a shooter, a strategy game, all the ones. So that's my list. And, and wasn't that one of the most satisfying payoffs when you actually did win? Oh, my God, when you actually did make it to, to Oregon? Yeah. You were like, yes! And then nowadays you make an Oregon, you smoke a lot of weed and take it in an Oregon Ducks game because what else is there to do in Oregon? Yeah, pretty much. And the nice, nice, pretty trees that Bob Ross would appreciate. <laughs> pretty trees. <laughs> pretty trees. Smoke some pretty trees, too. So, James, it's your turn. What's your list, man? Uh, I think that there's two that I'll agree with you on 100% because you can't leave them off, and that's Pac-Man and Super Mario Brothers. They're, they're the cornerstone of what we know as video games right now today. I mean, you cannot leave those off. One that I'm going to put in there, first ballot, is The Legend of Zelda. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because it was the first game with the ROM chip in it. It was more well, the first game where you could kind of go back, continue your progress on. Not to mention it was a great story. There was a lot going on there. You had to, Again, it was one of those things where you had to manage to be able to buy potions and get coins and stuff like that. Uh, my fourth... Man, have I gone back and forth on this. <laughs> a lot. I've gone. I've looked at Tetris. I looked at a bunch of others, but I'm going to go you're, a little you're, different. You're kind of like that guy, like in the waiting room, with, with you know, in the old school cartoon days, just the old school days, like the '50s, where you where your wife's giving birth. You were in the outside waiting room, walking back and forth, smoking tons of cigarettes, <laughs> and like you know, writing out equations and shit, and. And like you're just throwing stuff like no, it can't happen. I'm it, I'm more the guy at the, at the front of the, at the front of the line at the fast food place going, ah, do I want a Big Mac combo or do I want <laughs> quarter pounder? I don't know. And the people behind you are going ah, pick yeah. one and move on. It's like going to, like that old joke. It's like go to KFC. What do you got there? They got chicken. <laughs> oh, jumping that! Why did you leave us so early? <laughs> so I'm gonna maybe ruffle a little bit of feathers here, but I will explain myself. Uh, I've changed this several times, but I'm gonna settle on Donkey Kong. Okay. Well, and the I mean, reason I say that's because it was like you graphics, like you said with the with the arcade. It was one of those draws to the arcade so much in the early years of video games. If that wasn't the first game you went to, it was the second game you went to. Because probably the first game you went to was Pac-Man. But you always inevitably went to Donkey Kong. Yes, I know. Mario was in Donkey Kong. Maybe that's not far away. You know what? Mario's probably the most recognizable video game character ever. I think it's okay that he gets on the first ballot twice. I will say that the two others I considered in Mm -hmm. that spot were Tetris because of all the reasons you mentioned, I know it's hard to leave it off, but I think because Donkey Kong came before it, that's why I'm putting Donkey Kong in first. And the other game I considered was Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Because it, it gave you the video game rating system, and it was maybe the first great fighting game. Well, that's that, but it was also the game when you went to an arcade, and there's always a crowd of people there. And that's the thing. In the 90s, you saw that. That was the one yep. cabinet where you always walk into an arcade, you see that cabinet there. And tons of people just standing right there, quarters lined up to the to the brim, tournaments, stuff like that. And there was know. always that one douchebag that would always win. Yeah. So you'd have this line on one side, and then the other guy is standing there by himself, and it's like, I don't know if I want to take this guy on. But well, then you, that. when you finally defeat the king, there's yeah. like this big, yay, he's finally gone. We can well, that, finally play now. Yeah, then, of course, you'll, you got to think of the home aspect as well, the whole yep. blood code thing. You know, a game I want to read is the is a game I want to read. Jesus Christ. I've really been playing Arkham Knight too much. <laughs> 
a, a book I want to read is the console war book about the whole Nintendo versus Sega war in the 80s and 90s. Oh, yeah. That's been getting a lot of press. And, you know, again, they one of the things they talk about in that book is the, the whole blood code. And that's kind of what gave Sega the advantage a little bit is where – you know, Nintendo. That's when that's kind of where Nintendo kind of maybe fell off, started falling off a little bit. Was to start with the whole blood code thing and having the whole green sweat. You know, when you punch guys. Yeah, I, I think that definitely played a role in it. I mean, there's, I mean, there's going to be people who disagree with both of our lists, and, and there's so many great games, and you you hate to leave anybody off, but this is a first ballot. And I think first ballots should always be taken very seriously. That's why I had a huge, huge problem with World of Warcraft being on there. I know it's a multiplayer. I know that it's kind of an RPG. Well, you know what? The first great RPG for a console was Final Fantasy, the first one. Or yeah. even Dragon Warrior. So don't even try and tell me that World of Warcraft would be around. Or D&D, for that matter. Yeah. I mean, come on. You can't leave that stuff out. So to put Warcraft in before those, I have a huge problem with that. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, overall, before we wrap up, I just want to say, like, going forward, and this this Hall of Fame gets more and more games in it and accessories, really quickly, uh, what's one accessory you would put, other than the Power Glove, that you would put in the Hall of Fame, other than the virtual the Power Glove for accessories? I, I, it, that's really hard, because there's, there's, so, there's been so many good ones over the years, and there's been so many uh, gimmicky type yeah. ones over the years i think that the first one that really kind of needs to go in is the is the gun duck hunt gun for the original nintendo because this was their launch yeah this was their first system ever and they included a literal shooter where you could fire at the screen kind of like the old arcade style they had some shooters like a wild gunman yeah. where you could do that in the arcade they brought that home in their first system Yep. It's crazy. Or maybe the original joystick for PC would be one that uh, I would put in there as well. What do you think? Uh, for peripherals, I would say, I mean, the Duck Hunt Gun is there. I'd just give a, I give a, a whole wing to the dads who every time their son yelled, Dad, the game's not working, had to take the cartridge out, blow on the cartridge for the NES, and put it back in and swear a lot and everything else. That's my <laughs> that's my choice. That's the, the, the dad... Growing up, having to do that as an accessory in and of itself. Yeah, well, you know what they say. Teach a kid to blow into a game, he plays all day. You do it for the kid, and he plays for five minutes. Yeah. It's, it's just one of those things. So, I mean, there, there's just so much to talk about, and I can't wait to see where the second ballot goes from here. But uh, sadly, that means that episode 67 has come to an end, but <laughs> it's been a very exciting one. Exactly. Don't forget to look us up on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Down Nerdy. Also, we're on the website now. We're on the interwebs, people. Down Nerdy Podcast.com. We got a dot com, not a dot net, dot, not a dot edu. Dot com, bitches. We're That's real deal. That's right. Dot com. You can get all our socials on there, actually. Actually, our Twitter feeds and Facebook feeds are streaming live right on the front page, so you get them both at the same time. You can also find out how to follow us on there. If not, we're at Down Nerdy 757 Also, in the About Me section, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at James Ace with them. Nick. 
And we're going on, and yes, you go on our main page on our website, and both our Facebook and Twitter right there. It's like double fucking skull fucking your eyeballs with social media. So much social media action. And of course, don't forget, go see Bob at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach. All the great figures, all the great current comics, back issues, all the sarcasm from Bob that you could possibly imagine, which we love him for. So go check out his stuff here in the Virginia Beach area. Exactly. And that being said, it's time for that famous phrase nerds that I always say at the end of every podcast always pay a safe comic book reading always bag and board your comics <laughs>